0: John chapter eight, verse one. you can stay standing for a moment as we read God's word together. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Just close close your eyes for a moment and listen to this. She'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Imagine that being dragged out, you right here in this moment, in front of this group of people. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let's pray, church. God, we thank you for this moment right here. Jesus, I just pray for a fresh revelation for each and every one of us in here about who you are, your heart, your desire, why you came. Help us to see in this moment that your presence is here right now in the room. We we can feel you. We know you're here. Holy Spirit, you dwell within us. Jesus, we pray for healing right now in this room. We pray for soft hearts, open ears and open eyes. Let us just catch a glimpse of what it's like to look through the eyes of you, Jesus, to see people the way you see people. you your name pray, amen. amen. You can sit down. We've been talking about these last few weeks here, this idea of doors. And there's doors on houses and rooms and temples. We've been talking about Jesus' description of our bodies as the temple. There's doors and gates and entrances and windows all throughout the temple. Ezekiel 41, 5 through 7. Uh, we hit on this just a couple of weeks ago, but it's a, it's a description of the temple. And in this description, the, the image that Ezekiel sees in 41, here's what it says. Then he measured the wall of the temple, and it was ten and a half feet thick. There was a row of rooms along the outside wall. Each room was seven feet wide, and these side rooms were built in three levels, one above the other, with 30 rooms on each level. So 90 rooms in total. And So as Jesus describes us as humans, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. If we're temples, that means that when we can look at some of this imagery that we see of the temple, we can apply that today. It's a prototype for us. And so we can look at that and we can see the complexity of the structure of God's temple, his dwelling place, 90 rooms within us. You're a father, you're a son, you're a husband, you're a daughter, you're a wife, you're a mother, where you work, what you've done, the people around you, the relationships in your life, the complexity that makes us individually who we have become. It, 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 90 rooms throughout the temple. It's an incredible image. If you go back in Ezekiel, there's another passage in chapter 8 where he describes another moment within the temple. Ezekiel 8, verse 1. Then on September 17th, during the sixth year of King Jehokim's captivity, while the leaders of Judah were in my home, the sovereign Lord took hold of me. I saw a figure that appeared to be a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he looked like a burning flame. From the waist up, he looked like gleaming amber. He reached out what seemed to be a hand and tucked me by the hair. That does not sound gentle. Then the Spirit lifted me up into the sky and transported me to Jerusalem in a vision from God. I was taken to the north gate of the inner courtyard of the temple, where there is a large idol that has made the Lord very jealous. This had actually happened during these times the temple of the one true God that Solomon had built, it had become a place of idol worship. And so there in the temple, there's, a, there's been an idol placed in the courtyard. made the Lord jealous. Suddenly the glory of the God of Israel was there, just as I had seen it before in the valley. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and there to the north, beside the entrance to the gate near the altar, stood the idol that had made him so jealous. Son of man, he said, Do you see what they are doing? Do you see the detestable sins the people of Israel are committing to drive me from my temple? When we sin, when we set up idols within our hearts, within the temple, it drives his presence from the temple. It drives him out. Do you see what they're doing? But come and you will see even more detestable sins than these. He brought me to the door of the temple courtyard where I could see a hole in the wall. He said to me, now, son of man, dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and found a hidden doorway. Go in, he said, and see the wicked and detestable sins they're committing in there. So I went in and I saw the walls engraved with all kinds of crawling animals and detestable creatures. I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel. Seventy leaders of Israel were standing there with Jezaniah, son of Shaphan, in the center, Each of them held an incense burner from which a cloud of incense rose above their heads. There they were. When when Ezekiel dug into the wall, there was a hidden doorway. And in that hidden doorway, what was taking place? It was was idol worship, the worship of demons. Dig. Dig. There's some things when we first become believers and we first hear that message of who Jesus is and what he's done, we are clearly convicted. And we know that the call is clear. It is repent and turn back. Leave that old way of life behind. And so there's some things that are so obvious to us in those beginning days that it's, an easy decision to discern and understand what it is he's called us to do and give up. But as we go forward in our faith, it's easy to grow complacent. It's easy to grow comfortable. But he's called us to dig. Because when we begin to dig, when we begin to come into communion with the Holy Spirit, when we begin to sit in his presence alone with him and ask him to reveal the secrets of our heart, to reveal the secret desires of our heart, to reveal what is within us that he still wants to clean out of the temple, when we begin to dig with the Holy Spirit, he begins to reveal things that we had no clue were even there. We had no clue that were hiding there behind some of the secret doorways within us because there's some things that we have taken and we have buried and we have left there in rooms that they've been locked for years and we've never really dealt with them. Typically, one of the, the easiest ones to begin to find when you sit with the Holy Spirit is bitterness and anger. Almost always as believers, we'll lock away bitterness and anger and think we've dealt with it, but we've never brought it out into the light. We've never done what Jesus has truly asked us to do and to begin to pray for those who we hated, to begin to pray blessings for those who are our enemies, to begin to truly heal and be set free from what's kept us in chains. He wants us to dig, and he wants to dig with us. You don't have to do this on your own. What's going on here? Ezekiel is with him, and he's showing him. Here's the hole in the wall, and he's telling him, begin to dig. You've taken care of some of the things on the surface level, but if you let these things fester, they will work its way out, and it will drive my presence from the temple. It's a choice. We all have choices to make. We have choices to go further with the Holy Spirit or we have choices to remain complacent and comfortable where we're at and say this is good enough. This is far enough. I don't want to go any further because I don't know how to deal with what I've kept hidden or locked away for all these years. I don't know how to deal with that sin or that hurt or that pain or that anger. And that person, they don't deserve my forgiveness. They don't deserve my prayers for blessing. You don't know what they did to me. So we leave that hole there, and we walk away from the Holy Spirit's voice and we say, no, I I don't want to dig. I don't want to go there. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing with their idols in dark rooms? These are the leaders of Israel. They're saying the Lord doesn't see us he has deserted our land. Then the Lord added, Come, I will show you even more detestable sins than these. He brought me to the north gate of the Lord's temple, and some women were sitting there weeping for the God of Temas. Have you seen this? He asked, But I will show you even more detestable sins than these. And then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple at the entrance of the sanctuary between the entry room and the bronze altar. There were about 25 men with their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. With their backs to the sanctuary of the Lord. They were facing east, bowing low to the ground, worshiping the sun. I know for us that sounds foolish. You know, we're we're modern, you know, intelligent, western people. We would never worship the sun. But there are things we've turned our back to the Lord on and we have worshiped in this world. There's things in this world that we have given more time and talent and treasure from our lives than we've ever even thought about giving to Him. That's worship. Where do you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure? That's it right there. It's not just coming here in this moment and singing. That's a part of worship. That's an aspect of worship. But worship is all of us. It's not just giving him one room. This is the room that I open up on Sundays and and this is where I sing from and I'll raise my hands and I'll praise him. But then tomorrow I go back to the dark rooms and I worship what I want to worship and I spend my time and my talent and my treasure how I want to spend it. We worship the sun. We just call it different things. We call it our kids, we call it relationships, we call it pornography, we call it sex. We, we, we call it whatever we want to call it. We have different names, but it's all worshiping idols. It's all worshiping of the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's all worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Have you seen this son of man, he asked? Is it nothing to the people of Judah That they commit these detestable sins, leading the whole nation into violence, thumbing their noses at me and provoking my anger. Therefore, I will respond in fury. I will neither pity nor spare them. And though they cry for mercy, I will not listen. When we turn our back on him, what does it lead to? It leads to violence. I've been struggling with these passages because there's part of me that I I love preaching just pure, like from the Old Testament, fire, like, man, repent and turn back to him. Like, our our sins are disgusting. They're detestable to him. But he's been showing me something else recently. Because all of these things, when I go back to that story in John chapter 8, all of these sins, all of these detestable things that we do in this world that sicken him because of his holiness. If you go to Galatians, I, I don't have this passage up here, but I, I was reading this before I walked up today. I just I wanted to look at it together as a church. Go to Galatians 6 here. Or Galatians 5. Verse 19, if you're following along. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Like I said, when I I first became a believer, it was really easy to compartmentalize and and to just see, like, oh yeah, I, I can see the obvious sins in my life. And I could hear these people in my life saying, you just don't do that anymore. You just stop. You just walk away. You repent. That's what repenting is. You turn away and you run from it. And to some degree, It was that easy to just turn and walk and run from some of those things. Some of those things even listed there in Galatians. But some of the other things were harder to walk away. Some of those things, I I didn't know how to cope in my life without them. Addiction is described as a complex psychological, emotional, physiological, neurobiological, social, and spiritual process. It manifests through any behavior in which a person finds temporary relief or pleasure, and therefore craves. But that in the long term causes them or others negative consequences, and yet the person refuses... Or is unable to give it up. The three main hallmarks of addiction are short term relief, long term suffering for oneself or others, and an inability to stop. When I became a believer, it was really easy for me to see some of the stuff I'd given up and then start to see the sins or the darkness in other people's lives. And, and, and some people, it's so obvious, right? Like you can just see it and you just kind of look at them. Just like this woman that they brought right in front of Jesus, right? It was so easy. Look, we caught her in the act of adultery. Look, look we caught them in addiction. We caught them doing whatever it is. Taking whatever drug, finding whatever source of relief that they could from what they were going through, and it's easy to point and look and say, man, look at them right there. Addiction isn't limited to drugs. We know that, but sometimes we forget that. It can include compulsive sexual promiscuity, pornography, online shopping, gambling, gaming. Some of you are just like, whoa, I didn't know that was a sin. (laughs) all right or well, i didn't know that was an addiction some of you your wives are like it's an addiction all right you're 35 stop gaming all right <laughs> binge eating drinking purging work achieving extreme sports compulsive relationship seeking relentless exercising psychedelics meditation any of these things can become an addiction when we use them for short term relief And we feel that there's an inability to stop. Are you craving and partaking of something that affords you temporary relief or pleasure, inviting negative consequences but not giving it up? There were things that I kept holding on to that I I, I couldn't give up because I didn't know how to cope or how to deal with my life when I first became a believer. I, I, I knew the truth of who Jesus is and what the Bible says he did and why he came for me. But there was still a part of me that didn't feel complete. And so I kept searching out that completeness, that wholeness, that fulfillment through all these other avenues. But I felt this need to hide those things. I felt this need to hide them from the church I was involved in because I I believed if people knew, I wouldn't be accepted. I wouldn't be loved. I had to put it together like I had it all together and I had to present this image of myself that there was no sin, that there were no problems, that there were no issues, that I had made the one-time decision. I'd gotten baptized and that was it. Nobody had ever taught me how to dig. They, they helped clean up some of the stuff in the courtyard and some of the stuff along the outer wall. There were obvious things that people knew how to kind of help me with in the beginning. And there were obvious things that people would say, you just stop doing that? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I, I don't need to drink. I, I don't need to go to these parties anymore. Sure, I can just stop that. That's fine. But there were other things that I didn't know how to cope without. I didn't know how to feel whole or complete without in my life. When I read this story in John, I just see this different understanding of Jesus. Here he is at the Mount of Olives. And he's teaching, and a crowd had gathered. And these teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they brought this woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. They put her in front of the crowd. In, in high school, I, I, I separated out the rooms in my life. There were dark rooms that I lived in throughout the week, and then there were rooms where I would come out, and I would live in the Holy of Holies. I would live as a believer on Sundays, or when I was with my youth group, or my church, or you know, when I was in community there, and I'd separated out these two different areas. I was a leader in the youth group. I was involved, and the rest of the week, I lived in the dark rooms that Ezekiel talks about there. And I remember one time that this friend of mine, you know, he, uh, he, he knew about some of the, uh, the dark rooms I was living in because we lived in them together. You know, some of the things that we were doing on the weekends, chasing after girls and chasing after relationships to try to feel whole, to try and feel something, to try and feel loved. And so it, it was all great until I started, you know, dating a girl that he liked. And then all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't so great anymore. And he decided, I'm going to tell everybody who you really are. I was like, I'll tell everybody who you are. He didn't care. He was, he was just mad. You know, he wanted, that, he wanted that girl. And so all of a sudden, my whole life got pulled out in front of the crowd because he began to tell everyone at our church and our youth group, all of our friends that we knew together in that realm, he began to pull everything out and tell anyone and everyone he could. And so, as I was reading this, it hit me: I, I've I've been there before. I didn't know how to deal with what was inside of me, and I've had all of my dark rooms exposed before the crowd. I didn't want to go to church that next day, well, after the week after I knew he had told all these people, all these friends of ours. I remember sitting there in church and just feeling the eyes on me. It was a terrible feeling to be completely exposed. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. They stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. There's a lot of theories and ideas on what he was writing in the dust that day. Jesus is the healer, not just physically, but spiritually of our soul. He looks at people, and he doesn't just see the outward behaviors. He doesn't just see the sin. He doesn't just see the fruit of the tree, but he sees the root, what goes down deep beneath it. He sees inside and knows every room within us. But he also knows the why behind those secrets, behind that pain, behind that sin. Sometimes we just look at it and we say, why would you do that? Why why, why would you do drugs? Why why, why would you chase after all these relationships when you are married and you have kids? Why would you chase after these other women or these other men? Why would you do that? We look at sin and we look at outward behaviors and, and sometimes we just look at it and we say, that is so stupid, that is so dumb. How could they possibly ever do that with their lives? They've completely ruined their lives. I was reading some interviews, uh, people that were addicted to different substances or relationships or pornography, and sometimes we think it should be just as simple as just say no, right? Or just walk away. But addicts, when interviewed about their different addictions, give different reasons and responses for why they do what they do, why they participate in what they participate in. One man said, it gives you three to four hours of peace. All the voices in my head stop, all the negative thinking, it goes away. Just three to four hours of peace. Another woman said, pharmaceuticals hold this magical promise of making you function normally. She was addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Another said, I found the cure to be able to function in the world. Another said, I got a sense of what a human being is supposed to feel like. There is a brokenness within humanity. We know that. We know that from the garden on, we've been broken. And we've been trying to find a way to fix and repair and heal what's broken within us. But all we're doing is creating more destruction when we try to do it without Him. And then even when we do find Him, when we come to meet Him, as many of you here in the church today, you, you know Him. You know who He is. You know what He's done. But nobody's ever taught you, and I know this because it was true in my life, nobody's ever taught you to keep digging, to keep searching for freedom, to keep letting Him expose every room within you and bring freedom and healing within your soul. And so then all we try to do is just hide it. You can't heal what you hide. You cannot. You cannot heal what you hide. But when you confess and you repent, there is healing and forgiveness that takes place. And so as a church, I would challenge you today during this last worship song just confess. Find somebody to just say truthfully and honestly for the first time and maybe a long time, maybe forever, to just say, listen, I, I've been hiding this room from the outside world because I thought nobody could love me. I thought nobody would understand. But let me tell you something. When I read through that list of addictions in, uh, in the world today, all the different addictions, each and every one of us fall into one of those categories somewhere. Each and every one of us use something to cope with the pain, whether we have big trauma from our past or little trauma in our lives. Each and every one of us have tried to find a way to cope and heal. And we keep searching out all these different ways. Jesus is the healer. He said it would be better for him to go so the Holy Spirit could come. Believe that today. Believe that, that you have the Holy Spirit's presence within you. He resides within the temple. So when you sit with him this week, sit and ask him to reveal each and every corner of the temple that he wants to heal and cleanse this week, that he wants to begin a process in. And it begins with confession and repentance Not all addictions are created equal, and they differ in degrees of judgment and punishment by society. I I remember looking at another uh, family of mine when I was in high school and middle school, and, and, and their mom and dad were drug users and drug dealers, and the kids had already begun to use and abuse. And I, I, I just look down on them sometimes as a believer because I, I'd given my life to Jesus. I, I'd been in the wires of baptism, and I thought, I'm doing great. I'm doing so good. Look at their lives. Their lives suck. Comparison is a tool of the devil. He wants you to do that. I just sat with this girl, this cousin of mine, uh, a couple weeks ago, her son had been taken to the hospital for an asthma attack, and he couldn't breathe. And he had no oxygen to his brain uh, for such a long time that eventually it was only down to, I think it was a 1% uh, chance of recovering. And so I remember sitting with her in the hospital just a couple weeks back. And the Holy Spirit just gave me this revelation. Everything she had seen, everything she had gone through in her life, all the pain, all the abuse, physical, verbal, sexual, I just looked at her in a different light. I used to look at her to make myself feel better, to make myself feel like, man, I, I, I got it going. Just, a, 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 I got so much more going in my life than she does, or her brothers, or her family. And I think that's what that crowd was doing right there when they brought the woman caught in adultery, when they brought her forward and they were looking at her and judging her and condemning her and they were thinking, at least I'm not her. But the truth is we've all got pain and hurt and wounds within us. And we've all got different ways we cope And so as I was sitting with her and praying with her, one of the things I said to her was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I treated you. I'm sorry for how my family treated you. I'm sorry for how our entire family treated you and your family. Because all of a sudden I understood how her life had gotten to that point. Sometimes we just look at it and we look at a person completely out of context. But when you zoom out and you look at somebody's life in context, We are deeply wounded people and those wounds and hurts are passed on from generation to generation all the way back to the garden. And that's what Jesus came to do, to restore and heal what has been broken by the enemy. That's what I'm praying for today. That we would stop looking at people to make ourselves feel better and we'd start looking at them with the eyes of Jesus. That we'd begin to understand what he understands. That we would begin to love them the way he loves them.